great to see you this morning. Why don't you get your Bibles and open them up uh, with me to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 4. Uh, we are wrapping up our series called Jesus is Greater, and we've been studying over the last several weeks this book of Colossians. So, hey, if you want to follow along on the sermon notes, if you'd like to have a copy of the manuscript of the message that I'm giving today or any of the messages we've done recently, you can go to our church website. Be sure you download that. I mean, our church app. Be sure you download that. And then you click on resources, sermon notes, and they're all right there for you to reference uh, in the future. So I hope that you'll take advantage of that. The year was 1943, and a Jesuit priest named Tomislav Poglajan had fled his home country of Croatia just ahead of the pursuing Nazi Gestapo. He settled in Czechoslovakia, where he changed his last name to be his mother's maiden name, Kolakovic. He was 37 years old at the time. He had a thick head of prematurely gray hair, and he had a keen eye for the winds of the culture and what would soon happen. He began to teach there, and he warned his students. He knew that hardships would come. He knew that once the Nazis fell, that the Soviets would come in, and they would establish a totalitarian state, and that would mean persecution for them and hardship for them. So he wanted to prepare them for that moment. He gathered them in his home, and he led them in prayer. They studied God's Word. He told them that they needed a complete and total devotion to Christ. And then throughout his time with them, he began to just prepare them of how to engage the culture when the culture turned hostile around them. He had a three-point message, if you will, or at least three words that he drilled into them, three single words, see, judge, act. He said, you need to see what's happening around you. Open your eyes to what's happening in the culture. You need to judge to see if what is happening is in compliance with the word of God. And then lastly, you need to act courageously because there will be a time when courageous action will be required. His disciples, his students began to grow, and they multiplied to multiple campuses and multiple cities within Czechoslovakia. You know, as I think about Kolakovic and what he did in that moment in time, it reminds me of what the Apostle Paul is doing here. Apostle Paul is writing to this church plant. It's only been around probably about six or seven years. These are brand new Christians. They don't have really the scriptures that we know of other than the let this letter and other letters that circulated through there. And he is, he's calling them to put Jesus first. And in this book, he said Jesus is greater, and he's made his way through the, how Jesus is greater in every possible way, and how if Jesus really is greater, then he's going to impact your life, and there's going to be change, and he's covered that in chapter 3. And now he gets to chapter 4, and these are his last words, his final words to this church. And he realizes that while they've had to battle some internal problems with false teachers, they also have to battle an external culture that is continually hostile toward their message. 
And how will they stand? And how are they supposed to hold fast to the word of God? And how are they to engage a culture that is hostile against them? That's what he's going to address. And this is how he closes off his letter. In fact, uh, the same issues they face are the same issues we're facing today. You know, growing up in West Texas, you always knew that a storm was coming when the winds would change. You could literally sense the wind shift to a different direction. Maybe the temperature dropped and you knew the shifting of the wind meant a storm was coming. We're facing in our culture today a shifting of the cultural winds, a shifting of the winds against the gospel. And if you're like, well, Craig, maybe that's a little overstated, uh, then consider this fact that evangelical Christians are basically Christians that hold to at least these four basic tenets. Now, there's certainly more that you could add, but at least these four basic tenets identify an evangelical Christian. And that is that, that we, we believe that the Bible is true and it's God's word. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead and, and attained for us atonement on the cross. We believe that a person must repent of their sins and place their faith alone in Christ. And we, re- we believe that the gospel should be preached to all nations, right? That's basically what evangelical Christians believe. Do you have any idea how many Americans, what percentage of Americans actually agree with that? Some maybe say, well, yeah, probably 60, 70 percent. No, uh, maybe 40 percent. No, try this, 8 percent. 8 percent would say they hold to those four core beliefs. 8% of Americans. There's a shifting in the winds. There are more Texans than there are evangelical Christians in the United States. And so how do we address our culture when when the winds shift? How do we address a culture that is increasingly uh, more resistant Uh, to the gospel. And that's really what Paul is addressing here in Colossians chapter 4. And so the words to them are the words for us today and couldn't be more relevant to us. So let's look at it. Colossians chapter 4, beginning of verse 2. This is the word of God. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains so that I may make it known as I should act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should answer each person Let's stop right there historically Christians have engaged the culture in, in one of four basic ways Uh, The first way is isolation. This is a group of Christians who say, you know what? The way I'm going to deal with the culture is I'm not going to deal with the culture. I'm just going to isolate myself, and I'm going to try to keep my family away from as many people that don't know Jesus as possible. That's isolation. The second way that Christians address a culture is imitation. That is, we're going to begin to absorb the values of the culture into our way of thinking. And so this happens sometimes theologically, where you get progressive Christians, which take the values of the culture and try to make it work within a Christian structure. Or it just may just happen personally, where I just don't, I really just act more and more like the culture. There's no distinction between who I am as a follower of Jesus and anybody else. That's imitation. 
The third would be, um, would be instigation <laughs> or to instigate. And the, these are the people that approach the culture with, a, with equal hostility. You may know Christians like that, right? I mean, they're, just, they're very clear to make sure what they're against and, and they use certain tools and methods to instigate and to push back on the culture and in so doing, do it in an aggressive and, and oftentimes offensive way. But the fourth way that Christians infiltrate or deal with the culture is infiltration, to infiltrate. That is that they, they move into their areas of work and their areas of spheres of influence, but they take with them the gospel. And in so doing, they infiltrate the culture really from the inside. And this is really what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about infiltrating and how these Christians are to infiltrate their community and infiltrate their culture and take the gospel with them. And in, every, in many ways, Paul is just giving us a field guide on how to change the world. But listen, in order to change the world, you got to engage the world. In order to change the culture, you got to engage the culture. And that's what Paul is telling us. And basically, he's going to give us three words. If Kolakovich had three basic words that he drilled down into these Christians, Paul gives us three basic words that he's drilling down into these Christians in Colossae and into us today. So let me give you, taking notes, I want you to write these three words down. The first word is pray. How do I engage the culture? Number one, I need to what? Pray. I need to pray. Look at it. Uh, look at verse uh, 2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us uh, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And, and so he's saying the first thing you've got to do and we have to do as a church and what we have to do as families that are engaged in our culture, in our schools, and engaged in our work is we need to make this a fervent matter of a prayer. This is what the early church did. This is how they impacted their culture. In, second, uh, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Changing the world begins with prayer. It doesn't necessarily begin with passion. It doesn't necessarily begin with strategy. It doesn't necessarily begin with vision. It begins on our knees. It begins in prayer. Listen, and the reason why is because nothing of significance will ever happen unless God moves, right? Unless God moves, there, there's not going to be any impact. Unless God moves, no one's going to come to Christ unless God moves. I remember being a younger pastor. I was in Chicago for a pastor's gathering. And I listened to a pastor who was preaching on prayer and, and specifically to leaders, challenging leaders to pray and to make prayer a priority. And I remember where I was. I, mean, I was in the balcony. Uh, if you were on the platform, I was in the top left corner when God really began to move in my heart. At the end of that message, I found myself on my knees crying out to God because I realized that I, I, I could plan, but I didn't pray. I, I, I was focused on preaching, but I wasn't as fervent in prayer. Doesn't mean that I wasn't praying, but I wasn't devoting myself to prayer. And God was really calling me back to that simple, fundamental practice. 
Some of you may be like that. You're really need God to move in your family. You need God to move in a wayward child that you need to come back to Christ. You, you need God to move and to win a coworker to Christ. You want God to move in your marriage. You want God to move in some powerful way. We want him to move, but are we asking him to move? Are we devoting ourselves to prayer? That's the real question. And this is exactly what Paul is calling us to do is to, uh, to understand that God moves in response to the prayers of his people. And he was calling this early church in Colossae not to be afraid, just pray. Pray fervently. Now, how are we to pray? Well, look at what he says here. First, pray for yourself. Look at verse two. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. Some versions, I don't know what your version says, may say be vigilant in it. Stay alert in it. This is a call to active prayer. This is a call to, to spiritual warfare on your knees, right? To active, fervent, passionate, desperate prayer. In fact, he talks about this. Remember Epaphras? Epaphras was a guy we ran into in chapter one. He was the one that most likely planted the church in Colossae. He was the one that took the gospel to Colossae at the very beginning. He led many of his family and friends to Christ. He's the one that went to the apostle Paul and told him what was happening at Colossae and therefore produced this letter. And, And so Paul actually mentions Epaphras In this chapter, chapter 4, look at verse 12. Just run your finger down to verse 12. Look at what he says about him. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything that God wills. Look, at he's wrestling with God in prayer. He's wrestling with God in prayer. Is that you? I mean, do you wrestle with God in prayer? Are you wrestling? You know, what I've found in my own life is sometimes I'm really burdened about something. I'm going to pray really hard, but you know, it's, it's a, a week, maybe two weeks, three weeks, and then I kind of move on to other things. Am I wrestling with God in prayer? He said, listen, you want to, you want to impact the culture? You got to pray and you got to pray and you got to pray fervently like Epaphras. He's wrestling with God. Would you do that? You join him in it. Pray for yourself this way. Pray for each other this way, that we be devoted to prayer. But then he also says, pray for us. Look at verse three, pray for us for this open door of the gospel. Pray for an open door. Pray for God to give you an opportunity to share Christ. Pray for God to move and bring revival. Pray for God to intervene and interact with us. Pray for God to move for this open door. You know, we had several of our church family that got on a plane this morning and flew to New York City. So they'll be landing somewhere probably after all of our services are done today. They'll be landing. And part of what they're going to do this week is they're going to gather together and they're going to go out in teams and prayer walk certain neighborhoods. And as they pray, they're going to look for open doors. Open doors to have conversation with individuals. Open doors to maybe see people groups that need to be reached. Open doors where God is already moving. But here's the cool thing, folks. You don't have to go to New York City to pray like that. <laughs> you can do that today. You can do that tomorrow. To be praying for your workplace, God, bring an open door. For praying in your school, God, bring an open door. 
praying in your neighborhood for God to move in a way and open a door for the gospel and that we would have the courage to proclaim it as we should. That's what Paul says. And so he said, you know what, the first thing we gotta do is we gotta pray. We gotta pray for open doors. We gotta pray for opportunities. I was talking with one teacher this week and she had been ministering to the student all week long or all throughout the pandemic and then throughout this last year of school it's been really rough you know so many have been online and in class and whatnot and this teacher had been ministering ministering this student but as the student was getting ready to graduate she said "I, I sensed that there was an open door and I said I got to know do you know Jesus have you given your life to Christ because I love you, I care about you, I want to know for sure that you're right with God. In that moment, there was an open door. Are you praying for that? So Paul says, if you want to engage the culture, here's the first thing you got to do. You've got to be on your knees. As a church, we have to be on our knees praying for God to move and giving us an open door to share the hope of Christ. Amen? All right, so that's the first thing, pray. Here's a second uh, word that Paul would give us, and it's the word act. Uh, look at verse he said act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time circle the word act there so there's pray in verse three there's act in verse uh, five once you pray then you need to act well how do you act you act wisely toward outsiders now he's talking about people that don't know christ right people that they're outsiders in the sense that they don't know the gospel they don't know jesus that you're to act wisely this is the same thing Jesus said. Just mark off to the side in the margin of your Bible, write Matthew 10, verse 16. Matthew 10, 16. Jesus said, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. You know what the word shrewd means? It means prudent. It means wise. It means, uh, I guess we put it to you this way. In our culture, we'd say street smart. All right? You got to be street smart. All right? when, you, when you're acting among people that don't know Christ, be street smart, but also be innocent. Let your motives and your actions be innocent. Jesus always sent out his disciples to engage the culture. That's what he did multiple times. He was sitting out, sitting out, sitting out. And he expects us to engage the culture in the very same way. And this is a struggle for a lot of Christians, right? This is a struggle for us. Some, some of you, man, you're fired up. You're ready to go talk to people and have spiritual conversation. You're fired up about it. Pastor, I had 10 conversations this week. Man, I'm so praying for this situation. I mean, you're on it. There are others of, of us that maybe not so much. In fact, what we suffer is from uh, CBS. CBS. That's a Christian bubble syndrome, all right? <laughs> Y'all know what that is, right? CBS. Well, Pastor, I don't really don't have any friends of mine that don't know Jesus. Everybody I know is, or people at church, that's your suffering from CBS. If you, if you can't list off three or four, five friends that, that, that don't know Christ, then you're suffering from CBS. And we, we kind of do this to ourselves, right? When somebody comes to faith in Christ, we bring them into the church and they love it, the word and they love the new church family. They get into a group. They start wearing Christian t-shirts. They start listening to Christian music. They start going to Christian movies good or bad they go to Christian movies and and they do all that and and now all of a sudden they they kind of isolate themselves from the culture in which they came from and they they no longer have the engagement that they used to have and so what Jesus is saying here is that hey we need to engage the culture around us 
I've got a friend of mine that runs a ministry called Lion Share. Lion Share. And his vision is to infiltrate what he calls the dozen domains of culture. He said there are 12 domains in our culture and we need to engage every one of them. Domains are things like engineering and the arts and business and law and civic uh, work. And he has all, all 12 of them. He's got a list of them. And, and what he tries to do is find people that are in these areas of domain like media and, and so on. And then to win them to Christ and teach them to make disciples and send them back into their domain where they work and, and then to share the gospel and make disciples. One of the ministries in New York City that reaches out to people in the theater industry, they pray, uh, they do prayer walks throughout the theater district and pray for at every show that God will bring a believing Christian on the cast of every show so that they can infiltrate in that cast and just share the hope of the gospel there. That's the same idea. But here's the, here's the thing. This idea of of trying to train up people to go into the different domains, that's the actual mission of every church. I mean, look around you right now. We got engineers in here, we got teachers in here, we got coaches in here and salespeople in here and scientists in here. We have all kinds of people in here. And listen, you come here to prepare to go there. And the, the whole point of Jesus sending his disciples out to make disciples, the whole idea of the Great Commission is that you would actually do that, that you would act wisely uh, with outsiders and share the gospel with them. He said, you need to be wise as you act toward outsiders. And then look at what he says here, make the most of the time. I love that. Make the most of the time. By the way, right up to the side of that, write Ephesians 5.15. Make the most of the time. Ephesians 5.15 says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as wise people, but uh, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. It's the same phrase, making the most of the time. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by making the most of the time? There are two words in the Greek for time. There's chronos, which we get the word chronology from. It means the measure of time. And then there is kairos, which means a season of time or an opportunity of time. There are seasons in your life and there are moments of opportunity. And this is what he's talking about here. He uses that word here, that you are to make the most as you're acting wisely, uh, toward outsiders as you're praying, 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 and then you're acting wisely and you're engaging this culture, he said there will be moments of time that you need to step into. There's a great biblical example of this in the book of Esther. Remember the book of Esther? Here she is, she's a, a Jewish woman that's brought up to the highest echelon of, of Persian government. She's now the, the wife of the king and her uncle Mordecai comes to her and, and pleads with her to go uh, on behalf of the Jewish people to the king because they are marked for execution. And so she has this, she has, she's infiltrated, right? She's there, she's in a place, she's acting wisely among these outsiders, but he looks at her and says, if you do not go on behalf of your people, God will save them in some other way. But perhaps you have been given this position for such a time as this. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, there's gonna be a time there's going to be a moment. Listen, as you're 
You're at the gym, right? You're working out at the gym and you're building relationships with people at the gym and there are people that are far from God. But there will be a moment in time when the, the window opens and he said, you got to make the most of it. You're working with that client and you've been working, boy, that client's hard to deal with, but you know they're far from God, but you're acting wisely, you're praying, you're acting wisely, you're praying, you stay with it. There's gonna be a moment of time when that client's heart is gonna open up and you're gonna be able to tell them about Christ. Make the most of the kairos. Make the most of the time, he says. That's how you infiltrate the culture. Listen, you are where you are for such a time as this. You know who you know for such a time as this. You have what you have for such a time as this. This is the time. So how do we engage the culture? Well, he said, pray. He says, act. And the third thing he says is speak. All right, look at verse 6. Let your speech, circle that word, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Uh, speech, he says, you gotta, once you are praying and you're acting wisely and the window open, opens up, then you've got to what? You gotta speak, you gotta say something, right? You've gotta, in those moments in time, hey, have you ever had opportunity when you were, the, the window of opportunity opened up and you did not speak? Anybody have that happen? I have, many times, right? I mean, it was like laid out there. I mean, if I was a running back, like the lineman would have made a huge hole, right, for me to run through. And yet I didn't say anything. And then there were times when the window opened and the opportunity was there and the time was right, and I did speak. And he said, you've got to be ready to speak. You have to be ready to share. You have to be ready to share what you know and the hope that you have within you. And look at what he says. How should we do this? He said, speak graciously. Look at, he's gonna tell us how to speak. He said, speak gracious words. He said, um, let your speech always be gracious. Love that, gracious. You know, some people think Christians are just hypocritical. Others just think Christians are, are hypercritical, okay? You know what I mean? I mean, they're just like, man, especially on social media. People get on there and they think they're taking a stand, but they're just blasting people on social media and it's all negative and all what you're against. And listen, that is not gracious speech. That's not attractive to anybody. That nobody looks at your rant and goes, boy, I really want to be a Christian now, right? <laughs> nobody does that. And so that's why he said, listen, when you do have opportunity, be gracious in it. Be gracious in your words. Before you hit send on that post that you're about to reply to, ask yourself, is this honoring to Jesus? Are these gracious words? Are these words that will be received? Are they just my venting? He said, be gracious. And then he said, your conversation be, should be seasoned with salt. What does that mean? Seasoned with salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. So what does that mean? Seasoned with salt. How does my word season with salt? Salt was obviously a preservative. It was also flavorful. 
I, I like a little salt on some stuff. I don't know. You got to lay off on a little bit of it, right? Hard stuff. You got to lay off on the salt. Can't load down on it. But you like a little salt on a, some of the watermelon, particularly. Anybody put salt on your watermelon? All right. Thank you. Those are my godly tribe right there. <laughs> but you like a, just a little bit, right? Now, you don't want the whole thing dumped on it. That's, that would be terrible, right? Just a little sprinkle of it. And what he's saying is this, your language, what you say to people in that moment, right? You're praying, 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 and then you're acting wisely and you're waiting for God to give this kairos, this moment in time, and you step in and you're going to say something. You want to be sure that you say things that are gracious and you say things that just sprinkle a little bit of the gospel in it. Just a little flavor of Christ. Just a little flavor of God's word. Just a little sprinkle of truth. This is what happens when you have just spiritual conversations with people. People may be sharing their heart and the struggle that they're dealing with, and you're gracious. You listen to them. You empathize with them. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And then you get to sprinkle a few things. Well, you know what? Um, there's a verse that God has used in my life that I'd like to share with you, and you sprinkle a little salt. Or you know what? When I face that same thing, I, I pray, and God seems to really comfort my heart. What did you just do? You sprinkle a little salt on there. Or let me tell you what happened to me one time when I was walking through a similar situation and you share how Jesus comforted your heart, you're sprinkling a little salt. What you're doing is you're, you're making them thirsty for more because later they're going to go away. They're going to go, what did that mean? What was that really like? Hey, you know, last time we talked, you said something about this, but that really encouraged me. Tell me more about that. And you're creating thirst. Jesus was a master at this and we need to be a master of it too. He said, let your conversations be seasoned with salt. And look what he says, so that you may know how to answer each person. You know, so many times we're afraid that we don't have all the answers. So we don't say anything. But listen, you don't have to have all the answers, but you do know now how to give an answer. You give it graciously. You give it salting and sprinkling the gospel and trusting God uh, to use it. So when you do that, this is how you engage the culture. This is what Paul said. You need to pray fervently, pray for opportunities, pray for God to move. Then you need to act wisely as you interact at work and as you interact in our culture and as you interact in the things that happen around you, act wisely, but, but you're looking for a moment of time, right? You're, and you're gonna make the most of it. And the way you're gonna make the most of it, there are gonna be opportunities when you get to speak. And when you speak, you need to be sure they're gracious words and they're seasoned with the gospel, seasoned with truth. Pray, act, speak. Pray, act, speak. Pray, act, speak. That's how you engage the culture. Once Czechoslovakia fell, the Soviets did come in, just as Kolakovich predicted. He was quickly booted out of the country, exiled out of the country, and his students, many of them were put into prison. And they stayed there for a season of time. But in the early 60s, many of these emerged out of prison and began to do the very thing that Kolakovich had taught them to do. They started to meet in homes, just like he had met with them in his home. They began to pray for God to intervene and God to show up in their country. 
They began to act wisely uh, against this totalitarian government that they were suffering under. They began to speak with, with clarity and with courage and with boldness. And what, create, what was created was an underground church that began to grow and to thrive throughout Czechoslovakia. And it was that underground church that was the backbone of the resistance that ultimately led to the fall of communism in Czechoslovakia and to the birth of churches that now meet in freedom today. They were world changers because they followed Paul's method. Listen, that's what God calls you to be. That's what God calls me to be, to be world changers. Listen, if you want to change the world, you've got to engage the world, right? How do you do that? Pray, act, and speak. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute? In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. But this is a good time to just consecrate yourself, to set yourself apart, to search your own heart. Are you engaging the culture where you live, where you work, where you learn? Are you praying for God to move? Are you acting wisely, looking for those moments of time? Are you speaking with grace, grace and salting the gospel in your conversations. Maybe you've never come to faith in Christ and this is your opportunity. Maybe today, right where we are, right in this moment, you realize that you need, you need Christ, that you've never rep truly repented of your sin and turned to faith in Jesus. And maybe at this moment, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you, to come into your life, to change you to make you a new person. Search your own heart. And as we move into the Lord's Supper this morning, let's set our eyes on Jesus. It's appropriate to do it on Memorial Day. On Memorial Day, we think about those who gave our life, gave their life so that we could have freedom. But today, we set our eyes on Jesus, the one who gave his life so that we could be free indeed. So set your heart on Jesus right now. Worship him. We're about to take the Lord's Supper and if you do not have elements, if you didn't pick up uh, these elements on the way in, if you would just raise up your hand, we have uh, some deacons that would be happy to uh, bring them to you. Just lift them up uh, high enough where they can see your hands. We have some in the back, back here, um, and some right over here, okay. Some in the very back, Brother Dave, all the way back to the back there. There you go. Be sure that you have it with you. Now, if you'll open up that bottom section and take the the bread out. When Jesus met with his disciples in that upper room, he knew he was sending them out into a hostile culture.
But he wanted them to know that he had overcome the world. That what was about to happen on that cross would change human history forever. And so he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is about to be broken for you. And as often as you take this bread and as you eat it, you remember me. So Lord Jesus, today, as we take this bread, we remember all that you've done for us. We remember your sacrifice for us. And we are so thankful. Let's eat it together. Now, if you'll just peel the top off of that cup. Jesus then took the cup cup of redemption and he said this cup is my blood poured out for you it is through the blood of Christ that we're cleansed it's through the blood of Christ that we're forgiven it's through the blood of Christ that we have entrance to heaven and into the family of God and he said as often as you drink this cup you remember my shed blood that washes you clean that takes away your sin So, Lord Jesus, today we take it and we're thankful. Let's drink it together. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we love you. We worship you. We thank you so much for your word, how relevant it is, how current it is. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be your people in this moment of time, in this season of time. Lord, I pray that you would move us to prayer. God, I pray that you'd help us to act wisely, looking for opportunities. God, I pray that you would help us when we have those opportunities, even this week, to speak with gracious words, seasoned with the truth of the gospel, so that men's hearts would turn to you. But Lord, we need you. And Lord, we realize that you at seasons of time and history have granted revival and awakening. And so God, we just ask for it again. Lord, if there was ever a time that we needed awakening and spiritual renewal, it's now. So God, start it with us. Begin in our hearts. And God, spread it across our land. Lord, we love you. We worship you. And we long for your coming. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said.